everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Lou Adler, who is the CEO and founder of Performance-Based Hiring Learning Systems. He is the author of many books, including the Amazon top 10 bestseller, Hire With Your Head. His work has been featured by The Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, Business Insider, and Bloomberg. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lou. Matthew, delighted to be here, and thanks for inviting me. I'm going to kick us off with your first role, which was in missile guidance control system design. I read that within 18 months, you had moved up and were working directly with the head of department. Can you take me back to that period of your life? What allowed you to grow so quickly? And honestly, how do you go from missile guidance control systems to a best-selling author in the realm of hiring? Okay, so now... That's actually a lie. You misread that. That was actually my second job. My first job was definitely in missile guidance and control systems, working on a Minuteman missile. It was too far away from my girlfriend, so I kind of moved closer to another company and also got my MBA in parallel. So that was actually my second job. Since I was getting my MBA uh, and I also had an engineering degree, and I actually was working on guidance systems for missiles, both short-range missiles and ones that intercontinental ballistic ones. Uh, I just happened to be sitting next to the guy who was in charge of budgets and for this department and the, that I worked for. I was an engineer, but sitting next to him. And I told him, I think his name was Phil. I don't I haven't thought of that. I said, Phil, that's not the way you would actually do the budget for this. This is the way you would do it. Uh, and he looked at me and he said, you got to talk to my boss. So we came up with this whole new technique for budgeting. And he said, I need to hire you to do our contracts and negotiation. I mean, literally, it was a pure fluke, but I was taking a course in statistics when getting my MBA, because I didn't even have it at the time. And I just did some kind of uh, statistical process control or statistical analysis to demonstrate that uh, when you're doing a budget for a complex product, you could use statistics to figure it out. So that's how it, quite frankly, that's how it happened. I know it's uh, kind of weird. And he said, you got to handle all of these budgets. And it turned out I actually like that better than uh, missile guidance control systems, but from a practical standpoint, there was a lot of analytics involved in it, and it made good sense. So, I mean, that's then uh, as a result of that, they put me on an MBA fellowship uh, with the company, and uh, that allowed me to meet a lot of corporate executives. And fundamentally, that was it. I mean, I did real well in my MBA program, um, and that got me an opportunity to, to meet other corporate executives. And they said, "Hey, you're a pretty good guy. You're doing this stuff," and so so on and so forth. But that was really kind of how I got into uh, some pretty, a pretty rapid growth pretty quickly. Kind of fluked that into it, but nonetheless, it was worthy. I definitely want to talk about when you think back to your career progression, almost the what would you tell your younger self or why do you think you've been successful? But I, I also want to talk about the work that you do and specifically bringing people, new people onto our teams, hiring, cultivating that talent. Are there certain questions that you think that current leaders should be asking both themselves, maybe their colleagues, and then also the people that they're considering? What are the sort of questions that should be in our head when we're thinking about bringing new talent onto our team? Well, that's, that's a pretty in-depth question and very important one. Uh, so I've got to go back many, many years. So as a result of all of these uh, promotions, I had an opportunity to become a senior financial analyst at the headquarters of a Fortune 50 company just after I got my MBA. And uh, 
six months later, they asked me to head up, be head of capital budgeting uh, for a big auto, automotive operation uh, in Michigan area. And I had a boss who got me into the recruiting side. He said, hey, we're gonna, we got a hiring is pretty critical. We got to go out to University of Michigan, hire some MBAs. So this is, I had to be 25 or 26. So I learned early on, although I was in financial management, capital budgeting, uh, I understood the need to hire great people. Uh, and I don't think I did it real well at first, uh, but we clearly look for people who were different, who were proactive, who decided to invest in themselves, who decided that they weren't gonna be like everybody else. They just did, I don't wanna say weird stuff, but unusual things. They volunteered for projects, whether it was inside or outside a company. They were part of teams. Uh, they took leadership roles, even if they were not logical leadership roles, but they gave them an opportunity to really reach out and be involved with a different set of people, different kind of community. And even if it was a technical person, we look for people who could collaborate with non-technical people or work with executives or work in different functions. So I've had to give the key is if I was giving advice to someone interviewing college students, that's what I would look for is people who have really gone the extra mile doing other stuff. I probably do the same thing with, um, we helped a company a couple of years ago to hire 200 sales reps and we did pretty much the same thing. We wanted people who did different things. And we asked candidates, hey, tell me about your biggest accomplishments, whether it's work, school, extracurricular clubs. Uh, so we asked a lot of questions, but we look for a pattern of where a per person proactively helped him or herself to become better at what they were doing, uh, particularly not only in the technical side, but also in the team side. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I would say is the key. A statistic that shows up in your LinkedIn profile that popped out to me is it said that more than 40,000 recruiters and hiring managers have attended one of your groundbreaking workshops focused on this and, and, and other things that, that, that you do in those workshops. When you think about going on stage or presenting and the thousands of people that have interacted, what are you doing to prepare for those type of events? What's your routine? How do you get ready to make sure that everybody who goes through that actually gets value out of it? Well, there's a lot of things there to it. So let me kind of give you the first thing. I don't, I was never a very good public speaker, probably still aren't today. So the first public, the real big talk I gave, real big to 2000 people, I was scared, I mean, literally scared. Uh, so I talked to my son who was going to film school at the time and I, hey, Keith, I need help. Uh, and he just said, visualize the situation uh, and start asking questions to the audience. So it puts the pressure on the audience rather than the pressure on the uh, pressure on the speaker. So at one level, that's what I did. So it was, took the pressure away. But to get ready to do that, I had to really know my stuff. Uh, so I really did practice. I obviously put the slide decks together, whether I used them or not. I tell lots of stories and I do practice, practice, practice. Uh, but I also, when I get up on the stage, I start asking questions, whatever it may be. I said, hey, how many of you had this kind of problem? Kind of describe it to me. And then obviously I ask those questions as they relate to the topic of the conversation. But I'm pretty comfortable with at least the first 10 years I wasn't, but by knowing all the stuff and having ready answers to the logical questions, I could pitch the talk to what I wanted to talk about. So I guess that might be some level of insight there, but I'm not sure that it's as appropriate for what you're asking. 
Well, you definitely had the, the luxury and the pleasure of working with some high-ranking officials at, at very powerful organizations. When you think about some of the traits that have impressed you over the years for people who have ascended, what, what are some of those traits that pop out that, that maybe were noticeable in, in multiple people and it definitely felt like there was a trend? Let me go back to my early job that I said, because I think this will be relevant. Being an engineer and trying to be a perfectionist, you tend to overdo it. So I had this one project just after I got my MBA. So we're talking 50, I guess, 50 years ago, a long time ago. Um, and I was, um, I was doing a capital uh, budgeting analysis for a major annual operating plan for a huge division, a couple billion dollar division. It, that was probably equivalent to five to 10 billion today. So I had the full responsibility to look at the corporation's budget. I had this report and I was so proud of the work I had done. It was, I probably worked two months without taking a day off, 12 hour days and very, very proud of the work. And I was finally gonna meet the CFO and present my results and I had never met him before to the CFO of the 37th largest company in the United States. And I was nervous. So about two in the afternoon or three in the afternoon, my boss comes in, says, let me see your report. And really didn't check in on me other than a couple of weeks earlier than that. I said, yeah, you're doing the right stuff. He looked at the report, 70, 80 pages thick, typewritten paper. Didn't have a computer, it was typewritten. He said, this is a piece of junk. He said, you can't present this to the CFO tomorrow. And I said, oh, God, this is my whole career was just about to fall apart. So he said, he looked at it. He said, I want you to write a two-page report, two-page report that summarizes this. And he said, do it like this. Do it like, Just give me the outline. He said, I've asked two of the secretaries to stay late tonight so you could rewrite it. And they'll stay as late as you need. So I had this. So this is from two o'clock to like nine o'clock. I'm redoing it. The secretaries were there, literally they were there. And I put this two page report together. My boss, Chuck, came in at uh, probably seven or eight in the morning, looked at it, fine tuned it. And he said, we're good to go. Uh, I met the CFO and now I'm getting to this story, but it's a, it's a worthy story. So I meet the CFO uh, and he looked at, Chuck, who's my boss, and looked at me and he said, okay, we got this division, $2 billion division. They got to bring in $150, billion, $150 million of pre-tax profit. What's in their budget? And it looked like, and it was, and I said, $120 million, sir. And he said, well, we got to get $30 million out of them. Is there $30 million in this budget? And I said, I think they're sandbagging $50 billion or $50 million. CFO looked at me and said, are you sure? And I looked back and I said, I'm absolutely sure. The CFO at that moment called the group president up and said, my man Adler says you're sandbagging your budget by $50, billion, $50 million. I want 30 million of it back and your commitment to your budget by Friday. Hung up. CFO said, excellent job, Adler. This took no more than seven minutes. The lesson learned though, was the value that you have to take and distill everything you have into one or two pages or two to three minutes so some executive can take that information and run with it. Invaluable lesson. I see it every day today. I still sometimes overdo it. I see it in technical people all the time is you got to take all your information, 
put it together in some summary where some senior executive can act upon it. And if you can, you have to talk that way, you have to write that way, you have to communicate that way. To me, that's the key uh, to dealing with uh, other departments and other people. If you want to convince somebody, you have to be confident in what you're doing, because you got to be able to summarize it into, um, now I don't want to say a tweet, but let's call it a long tweet, but maybe it's one or two paragraphs or one or two pages at most. The, the landscape has changed so much as things have moved towards remote work or hybrid work. How do you think that's going to affect corporations from a hiring perspective? Or how are you guiding people or advising people to think about potentially less geographic restrictions to bringing people onto their team? Well, I think it really opens a pool to a lot more people. I talked to a woman who's a VP marketing and she lived in Southern California and she was working with a company in New York City. I can't remember her name. I think it was Mary. I said, Mary, how did you get this job? I said, she had a remarkable background without question. She said, well, I know the CEO. He's been trying to hire me for two years, but because of uh, remote work, I finally could take the job. I have two children. I couldn't, I wasn't about to move to New York City, but I can certainly do it remotely. Once COVID is over, we'll be spending two or three days a month on site. But for now, I can get just as much work done as I can remotely. And I've seen that same concept is people are learning how to manage remotely, hire remotely, and get things done remotely. Uh, so I think it's actually going to be uh, in the positive thing. It's going to offer a lot of flexibility to a lot of people. On the negative side, I think it's going to cause people to be easily persuaded. I think we've made job changing too transactional and too superficial. So the negative is, hey, people are going to leave jobs for pay and for short-term reasons, uh, which I think is a real negative of a lot of stuff we do. On the positive side, I think work can be done remotely and I, um, just as easily. And I've talked to some people who are doing scrums and agile software, uh, and they seem to be able to handle it properly. Obviously, if you've got time zone difference, you kind of have to be there at um, local time. Uh, in the morning or whatever day. But nonetheless, I think it's going to be a uh, profound change. One question that we get from a lot of listeners that I always like to ask is about curiosity. What are you the most curious about right now? And it can be on a topic that we've talked about, or it can be something completely unrelated. What, what are you most curious about right now? Well, that's just, sadly, I am. <laughs> uh, and uh, you'll see it's totally unrelated, but it's my engineering background, financial background. Uh, the SEC has just made an announcement that human capital has to be quantified to some degree. Since my background has been in financial analysis, engineering, and now human capital, it seems like you can relate cost per sales, revenue per employee, variable profit per employee, uh, the cost of hiring the top third in the ROI versus the, the uh, hiring the bottom third. So I love that stuff. If I could uh, retire, because I am 74, retire now and just work on that, that would be something I am very curious about. And I'm reaching out to partners at public accounting firms to, once I get this uh, fourth edition of Hire With Your Head done, I'm going to probably focus on how do you quantify human capital in some measurable and uh, financial way. Hmm. Well, that is a wonderful spot to shift to our final two rapid fire questions that I get to ask all of our guests. And question number one is this, if you could describe your leadership style in just one word, what would that word be? Crappy. Yeah, I'm a crappy leader. I, no, that's, that's the word I have to use. I'm not very good at it. I have no patience. 
I expect people to deliver. Uh, so I've learned that um, I delegate a lot and I tell people I'll give you a little bit of coaching, but you're on your own. So that's my, it's not a good leadership style. I do try to create a vision on the other hand, a positive side, I create a vision of where we're going and the point of it. But then I expect people to uh, take the initiative and achieve it themselves without a lot of direction. The final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Yeah, when it goes back to the story I said earlier uh, with my boss, the same guy who told me you got to summarize this thing in two pages. Uh, he was, I was working at, in Michigan, just got there, another big report that we had to present to the uh, executive team on how we're going to do the capital budgeting system and implement it. Uh, and it's 26 or so. And my boss, Chuck, calls me and says, Lou, you got to go to the University of Michigan. We got 20 candidates to interview, and I only have slots for seven. So you got to tick up the other nine. Uh, I said, I can't do it, Chuck. We got to get this report out tomorrow. Uh, so I can't get there. He said, You absolutely have to be here. There's nothing more important than hiring. Get your butt over here. We'll figure out how to get the report done. And that was the message. There's nothing more important than hiring great people everything else can wait. So if I had to say that lesson I've heard, and it is absolutely true, and a lot of managers give it lip service, companies give it lip service, but it's absolutely true. Uh, managers spend too much time uh, making short-term decisions to hire people and then spend too much time after the hire trying to get a below average person to become average. You hire great people, they will be, uh, you're building a great team and your life will be a heck of a lot better. So that's the advice. There's nothing more in important and hiring great people, nothing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lou. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Well, I would just go to performancebasedhiring.com and you'll see websites, you'll see links. You can find me on LinkedIn too, um, but you'll see me there with uh, much many of the stories I've just said to you. So Matthew, thank you very much. I Hopefully that was helpful. Well, it was very much so. And thank you for all the great insight. And thanks to all of our wonderful listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Learn to Lead Podcast. And you can find our organization at Ability.com. Be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.